Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, September 20th, 2021. Producing from his home in the foothills of Connecticut is Taylor Schwenk. I'm Buster only working from my home in New York. And Taylor, uh, I got to say, generally speaking, uh, I feel so blessed in my life, right? I have two great kids. I have a wonderful job that I've never really thought of as a job. I've always... uh, you know, every day it's something different in terms of the work that you're doing. It's 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 great. Get to travel a lot, but then there's one other part of my life that just it, it, I, you know to be in this position, it, it's just maddening. High snap, put down, Joseph. Come on, it is gone. No, he it's missed no it. Good. Are you kidding me? He missed it right. He missed it right. Are oh my heavens! Oh, oh, great, Taylor. I picked the Minnesota Vikings when I was eight years old as my favorite football team, and it pretty much offsets everything good in my life. Oh, Buster. Oh, Buster. I... I think it's a it's a weird thing, especially with Minnesota Vikings kickers. It's been well known in the last couple of years. So you've you've probably gone through different waves of sadness with the Vikings. But this kicker thing within the last like, I don't know, like six years or so has really been, I mean, next level gut wrenching. So I, I empathize with you. Last six years. Are you paying attention? Like, okay. I mean, as far 19, as I've been aware, I guess I'm wrong. Oh my God. 1999, you know, the NFL playoffs. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. I mean, the Super Bowls before. Oh my God. Oh. Add another chapter to the book, baby. And the yep. ra- the radio call is that was that was awesome that they they thought it went through and it did not losing to the the Cardinals there. Yeah, and my 17-year-old son, Jake, who's wonderful, also loved to stoke it, okay? The the Vikings game was still going on when Sunday Night Baseball began, so I obviously wasn't watching that, and I get a text from my son saying, sorry, Dad. (laughs) But I don't think he was really sympathetic either, okay? I think he was a little – he was kind of – he was kind of sticking it to me too. So, anyway, yeah. So, uh, you know, the rest of my day was ruined. That's for sure. (laughs) On Sunday, the Phillies played the Mets on Sunday night baseball in the top of the first inning. Bryce Harper showed why he's an MVP candidate. Curveball. This one is laced into left. It's going to get down. Harper hits second. He takes a wide turn. He's going to third. Rio Muto hustling in. The ball bobbled in center. Here comes Harper. He's in. And the Philadelphia Phillies jump on top as Brandon Nimmo had a hard time picking the ball up with Jeff McNeil. It should be second and third at the worst. Instead, it's one nothing. Rio Muto's at second, and the Phillies have a lead. Bryce Harper hustling all the way on that play, ran through a stop sign at third base, scores with a slide. Rich Hill, who pitched for the Mets, was furious because there's no way the Phillies should have scored in that play, but Bryce Harper... Hustling all the way. Now, the Mets would come back. It was 2-2, bottom of the seventh inning. This happened. The next one to O'Neill is choking up. That ball is lifted to right and deep. Going back is Harper. Forget it. That ball is long gone. And Jeff McNeil leaves the building and gives the Mets a 3-2 lead on his seventh home run of the year. Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. The Mets win the game 3-2 at the end of the day because Atlanta won earlier in the day in the final game of their series in San Francisco. Phillies trail the Braves by two games in the National League East. The Mets, five and a half games behind Atlanta, just about out of it. 
the Dodgers and the Reds on Sunday. And Corey Seager got a big hit. One out, one on, and here is Seager, who singled a right in his first at-bat. On the first pitch he sees, he drills one to right center field, and it is out of here, a home run. That was Charlie Steiner on AM570 LA Sports. The Dodgers win the game 8-5. to The Cardinals leading the race for the second wild card in the National League, and they faced San Diego over the weekend and had their way. And the pitch to... Uh... The uh, cleanup man has popped up on the uh, shallow part of right field. Right fielder, excuse me, center fielder comes in, drops the ball, drops the ball. Close home now, too late. It'll be an error on the center fielder. Unbelievable. Well, he made two errors. One that will go down as an E8. The other, an error in judgment, not getting a force out at second base. Yeah, Mike Shannon, John Rooney. On the Cardinals radio network, St. Louis would win that game over San Diego, 8-7, to seven, complete a sweep. It was an eventful weekend for Fernando Tatis Jr., a dugout confrontation with teammate Manny Machado on Saturday, and we're going to be talking about that with Jeff Passan coming up. Before Sunday's game, the Blue Jays placed Hunjin Ryu on the injured list. He woke up with a tight neck on Saturday. The Blue Jays are hoping that he misses just one start. Toronto. Playing so well lately, in the bottom of the first inning, they took control of the series ender against the Twins. Pitch to Bo. There's a swing and a high fly ball, right center field. Buxton goes back at the wall, and it is gone! Bo Bichette with number 26. That was from Sportsnet 590. The fan Toronto wins 5-3. to the Yankees trying to take the final game of their series against the Indians, and Garrett Cole had an awful day. Cole with the 1-1 delivery. Swung on, there's a high fly ball. Launched to right field. Gone. Home run, Ramirez. And the Indians are on the board again. Jim Rosenhaus, 1100 WTAM. The Indians would win 11-1. Garrett Cole booed as he left the mound. On Sunday, we're going to be talking about the reckoning that seems to be on the horizon for the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Orioles. Hunter Renfro came through for Boston in the bottom of the seventh. Fly ball left field. Over to the wall, up and high off the wall. They're going to wave Kike Hernandez in, throw to the plate, is way off line. Red Sox score, take the lead. Hunter Renfro hit one high off the wall in left field. He's got an RBI double at second, and the Red Sox have retaken the lead 7-6. to six. That from 93.7 FM WEI, Boston wins. And at the end of the weekend, they led the race for the number one wild card over Toronto by one game. The Yankees by two and a half games. A reminder, next Sunday, we've got the Red Sox and Yankees on Sunday Night Baseball. A lot of pressure building on New York. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, a couple things to point out. First of all... Once Upon a Time in Queens, we promoted it all last week. We're going to promote it some more. Again, all four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens about the 86 World Series winning New York Mets is available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN. 
ESPN app right this very second. And you can listen to Organized Chaos wherever you get your podcast. Organized Chaos is ESPN's newest podcast hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will provide listeners with expert insight and analysis on everything happening around the league featuring trending stories from on and off the field. That's organized chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcast. I was able to uh, do a recording with those guys and uh, that show is a lot of fun. So check that one out. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NextGuard Plus. A Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NextGuard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Jeff Passon covers baseball for ESPN. And Jeff, uh, I really enjoyed a buffet uh, that I laid out for Carl Rabbits the other day. I'm going to do the same thing for you today. How does that sound? I grew up eating at Ponderosa, so buffets sound delightful. Nice. So the way this is going to work, I'm going to lay out the topics, and you can take them in the order you want. But the thing is, you got to taste a little bit of each of these topics at least. So on the buffet line, we've got Padres Reckoning, Mets Reckoning, Yankees Reckoning, National League MVP, American League MVP, Dodgers Postseason Choices, Andrew McCutcheon wearing a wristband last night. Which one do you want to take first? Ooh, okay. This is going to be a little strategic in how I do this. Um, I'm going to go AL MVP first because uh, I want to get the super hot take out of the way. Um, and, <laughs> and, and these days, I like on Baseball Tonight last night, Buster, I got ambushed 
because all year long, Carl Ravitch has been on the Shohei Otani for MVP bandwagon. In fact, before the season started, he actually picked him to win the award. And last night he said, no, I'm switching to Vladdy. And listen, I love what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has done this year. It's phenomenal. It's wondrous. He's 22 years old. He's one of the best hitters alive. He's having a great season. I think the Blue Jays are going to make the playoffs. But what Shohei Otani is doing, it's not just that it's unique or that we've never seen it before. We just have to take him for what he is, which is two players in one. That's exactly right. When On Sunday Night Baseball last night, we had this conversation, and I, like you, felt a little ambushed because Alex Rodriguez has changed his support over to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And I said, look, if this was the NFL, you'd be, talking, you'd be talking about a top 10 quarterback and also an all-pro middle linebacker. That's what Shohei Otani is, all wrapped up in one player. And I agree with what Joe Madden said earlier this year, that it's it's not even close. Uh, you know, Joe Madden said to uh, to Matt Viscurge and I at the Little League Classic, look, we might not see this for another 100 years. Right. And when it comes down to the voting, the fact is, is that Shohei Otani has generated far more value than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., as great as he is. Yeah, I, I I look at it in in a couple of ways. Number one, Shohei Otani is let's just say ninety percent offensively what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is right. this year. So somewhere in that vicinity, ninety percent. What would you rather have? Would you rather have Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or ninety percent of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Alec Manoa? Because if you look at Shohei Otani's pitching statistics, they are right in line with Alec Manoa's. And honestly, after his start on Sunday, uh, even better. And, and, and the second part of this is, and it goes back to, to where I've been on this since the Miguel Cabrera-Mike Trout debate. Um, I understand the Triple Crown is an incredible thing to win. I, I still believe that even if batting average and RBIs don't have quite the resonance that they once did. But I'm sorry, if if Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Buster finishes one RBI short of winning the Triple Crown, that doesn't lessen the brilliance of his year at all, just as winning the Triple Crown should not severely enhance the candidacy, uh, the uh, just how good his candidacy actually is. I hate getting caught up in this idea of of made up things determining value. What determines value is production on the field. And in terms of production on the field, nobody has come close to Otani this year. No. Uh, yesterday on Twitter, I had some followers who were tweeting stats at me because they heard me on, on, on uh, Sunday Night Baseball, uh, you know, saying that I would pick Otani and they were tweeting uh, Vlad's offensive stats at me like, like, look at his offensive stats compared to Otani. And my response was, yeah, can you post his pitching stats too? Because <laughs> <laughs> right? that's, that's the difference. That's why what we're seeing from Otani is unprecedented because he's been really great at both. All right, head back to the buffet line. What else? Uh, what do you want to get to next? Let's stick with MVP. And this one's going to be quick. Um Fernando Tatis Jr. has had a phenomenal year. And unlike 
uh, his, his past seasons, there hasn't been a huge fall off in the second half. He's still OPSing something like 940 in the second half. Uh, but what Bryce Harper is doing this year right now, and, and mind you, Buster, we've still got two weeks left in the season. This can change. What Bryce Harper's done, particularly in the second half, uh, he's the MVP right now. I would agree. Uh, you know, leading up to Sunday Night Baseball, I looked at these numbers for Bryce in the 53 games uh, and leading up to tonight's game, he had 40 extra base hits and 40 strikeouts. As many yeah. extra base hits as strikeouts, which is nuts. Yeah. His slugging percentage over 800. His on-base percentage is almost 500 in those in that stretch. And so I reached out to Sarah Langs, our great friend uh, for MLB, and asked her to to look into when you know the last time someone had done that. Mm-hmm. No Philly had done that since Chuck Klein. Okay, <laughs> that, Chuck Klein. I was going to say. So it's been almost a hundred years now. Exactly. Yeah, it's uh, phenomenal with Bryce, and I agree with you. He's the MVP. Uh, is there a natural transition in the buffet line now to Padres reckoning? I uh, think that's exactly where Jr. that's exactly where I was going, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this on you for a second. How much does this surprise you? I mean, there have been for weeks now, and and this started right around the time Larry Rothschild was fired, but but there have been rumblings about discontent in the Padres organization uh, about Jace Tingler and whether people there believe he's fit to be manager. And in the fact that this spilled over and boiled over in this fashion, um, it's going to make for an extremely interesting off season because I I don't think Jace Tingler is back next year. But what does that say about A.J. Preller at that point and his ability to hire a manager? Like, we know A.J. Preller is very good at talent acquisition. There's no question about that. Like, we've been through this cycle twice now. Acquiring talent is something he does very well. But how do the Padres transition from acquiring talent to putting together a good productive major league baseball team? That's the flaw in the system right now. I would agree with you. Uh, I've heard exactly what you've heard that, uh, that there's a lot of unhappiness with Jace Tingler, um, you know, players, uh, a lot of players have not connected with him and they're unhappy with what's going on. And I think that what happened in the dugout the other night is an extension of that unhappiness <laughs> uh, that, you know, you had a confrontation, a confrontation with Manny Machado yelling at Fernando Tatis Jr. Now, I asked a lot of people about spe- the specific uh, you know, situation with Machado getting on on, uh, on Fernando Tatis Jr. And what I got back from a lot of folks in the game who know both players say, you know what, that that's uh, you know, there's going to be conversations between players, between veterans and young players. Those mm-hmm. conversations we've had with Manny Machado when he was a young player, right. and behind the scenes, other Orioles people were yelling at him, saying, "Knock it off, knucklehead!" But what really jumped out to me is that sense of, you know what, there's a vacuum here uh, in terms of how the players are responding to their manager. And that's part of what was going on the other night as well. I agree with you about uh, AJ, because in some respects, you know, Jace Tingler is a lot like the guy who preceded him. Yes, uh, he is. He's Andy a lot Green. like Andy Green. Yep. And uh, I don't mind players fighting, actually. I think yeah. that's what, like, when you spend, 
eight months of the year with the same people, there are going to be fights. There are going to be moments when people who believe they are leaders, people who are leaders, try and impart some wisdom onto other players. And I thought that the message Manny Machado was trying to send was actually correct. Like, dude, you're not bigger than the game. Your individual outcomes don't matter when they're in the past, considering what you can do in the future over your next few plate appearances could help win us this game. But if you're not in, that's not helping the situation. If you're getting run by the umpire, if you're getting in fights with coaches, well, you know, whatever the case is. So I think the wisdom there was actually right on. And I think Manny Machado quite often doesn't get the benefit of the doubt because of his history and because Fernando Tatis Jr. is protected class in baseball, you know, the the biggest star in the game right now. Um, But in the end, it's on both of them to help take this team that has literally never been to the promised land there. And the fact that they have gone from... I I think I saw you tweet this earlier. They've gone from like a 95 win team earlier this year to like a 45 win team over the last couple of weeks uh, or the last month plus now. I mean, it's, it's a staggering fall. I would be shocked if the next manager isn't someone who has a ton of experience because I know that their voices within the Padres organization uh, saying, look, we need a manager who's been there and done that. And I don't know if that's, you know, Bruce Bochy. I was going to say, sounds like Boach. That sounds like Bruce Bochy. You know, Buck Showalter, of course, yeah. is someone who's known to Manny Machado, who probably has the ear of the owner right now. You know, maybe yep. he gets involved. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe AJ goes back to Ron Washington, you know, who is one of the people that he interviewed. He's got some experience, too. And I'd say this, too. I think AJ's got to look himself in the eye uh, and, and take a self-assessment of his own leadership the whole situation with Larry Rothschild and the way that that played out was a joke for him to say this is Jace Tingler's decision and stand behind that. That would mean that Jace Tingler is the most powerful manager in baseball in 2021, <laughs> because, you know, and I know there is no manager who can unilaterally fire a coach, especially a pitching coach. Yeah. Uh, without having the assent of. The, the guy who's running baseball operations. That's just a fact. I mean, and I mean, if, if we is there, it's not Jace Tingler's decision. It's AJ's decision. And that moment that that was not a good moment for AJ. I mean, let's look at the Chicago White Sox. Tony La Russa was handpicked by the owner and did not get to choose his pitching coach. Right. <laughs> yeah. Managers these days, they don't have that kind of power. And so I, I think it was it behooved it. AJ in that moment to step forward and say, look, we've, we've made the change of Larry Rothschild. Here's why this was, you know, in the end, the buck stops here. All right. Uh, back to the buffet table, Mets reckoning, Yankees reckoning, or do you want to talk about Andrew McCutcheon? I'm I'm going to, I'm going to go two at a time. If it's okay, actually, yep. I feel like we can do two in one New York here. Um, I, I, I see the Yankees and, and Mets reckonings as being different. Um the, the Mets, uh, there, there's just an organizational overhaul that needs to happen, which is very interesting a year into new ownership. But I, I think that Steve Cohen is a very smart man who recognizes uh, that there is institutional rot at that place. And the quicker that you overhaul things with a big hire 
the better off you are. The big question to me with the Mets is, are they actually going to get the guy? Is Billy Bean, who has a 4% ownership stake in the Oakland A's, which is worth, you know, upward of 50 to $60 million, really going to be able to get paid what he wants to move all the way across the country with his kids in school still. And with all these, you know, is Billy Bean actually the guy? And if not, is Theo Epstein actually going to do this? And if not, is David Stearns really going to do this? And if not, uh, like yeah. at that, I almost look and and I don't, I don't know how realistic a possibility this is. But if it's not Billy Bean, wouldn't you try to hire David Forrest? Yeah. Don't you think that's a person who has absolutely ha- has taken the reins day to day of the A's organization? You know, Billy Bean ha- has been less involved in recent years, still the sort of overarching, uh, you know, Archduke of the Oakland A's, but doesn't do the day-to-day stuff quite like he once did. And David Forrest has has taken that on. And you wonder about the instability in the A's organization with them moving to potentially to Las Vegas. And uh, it's just interesting going over, Buster, all of these candidates and seeing how few of them fit the Mets. I completely agree. Were you going to jump onto the Yankees? Uh, I was going to follow up with a couple quick thoughts on those two, if you want. Yeah, to I mean the Yankees. The, 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 is there is there a huge reckoning coming with the Yankees? I don't know. I will tell you that in the last ten days, it's the first time that I've begun to get the sense that there is a chance if they don't make the playoffs that Aaron Boone will not survive as manager. That's the that's the. It's going to be, isn't that going to be though ownership convincing Brian Cashman at that point? Brian, doesn't Brian Cashman like have Aaron Boone's back? Oh yeah. There's no doubt about that. That's, that's a nice polite word to use convincing Brian Cashman, (laughs) which I respect your choice of that word. But look, if they wind up changing managers, I don't think anybody in that building will believe that, you know, changing the manager is necessarily something that's going to make a substantive difference. It's just going to be a recognition after what, uh, you know, will be considered an incredibly disappointing year. They got to throw some meat to the mob. (laughs) Uh, That so goes against how the Yankees have made decisions in recent years, though. It's a throwback to you know, to, to the past years of George. I, I would agree. Um, I just say that I, I, you know, there are fault lines developing within that organization. There, uh, that, that it, is, that is true. Yeah. And that is point, true. I, and that is fair. I would not, I would not be surprised. And about the Mets, I'm really curious in the next uh, uh, to see in the next few days, if we hear more from Steve Cohen, he, of course, had that eruption on social media last week to the Mike Puma story in the New York Post about how people are watching him use social media. And then this morning, the respected Ian Connor basically said he's had a worse year than Francisco Lindor, <laughs> which is saying something. Uh, and then I'm curious to see how Steve handles that sort of criticism. All right. I wanted to say, I wanted to, we're, I don't even know what the Dodgers thing was. Dodgers roster decisions. You know what the roster decisions for the Dodgers are, Buster? They're all better than everyone else. Okay. So there you go. That's an easy one. I wanted to save the best for last here. Um, if we want to talk about a reckoning, 
what's gone on in the minor leagues in the last 12 months and in players getting together and feeling empowered in publicly aligning and having support from people who are extremely good at social media and marketing to take the issues of the minor leagues and publicize them. It's reaching an inflection point now. And it reaches an inflection point when Luis Rojas, the manager of the New York Mets, says, I have the back of minor leaguers. When Andrew McCutcheon, a player with an immense amount of respect around the sport from his peers, who's involved in the play. Players Alliance and in the forming of that, where's a wristband on Sunday night baseball that says hashtag fair ball. The, the people in the minor leagues right now, the players who have been mistreated for as long as they have, who have been underpaid for as long as they have, are saying this is not going to stand anymore. And Major League Baseball has a very difficult public public relations situation to deal with right now because it has been on the wrong side of this issue historically for the entirety of the minor leagues. And now everybody is seeing it. And I think you'd agree with me, too. It's also a difficult public relations issue for the Players Association. It is. <laughs> yeah, uh, because because they I mean, they're they're standing up for the twelve hundred and that's what they have always done. And I appreciate it, by the way. And I want to say this to you personally. I texted you this last night. I appreciated you talking about it on the broadcast, too, because the fact is there there are some people in this sport who are too beholden to Major League Baseball to talk about this issue because it looks so bad for the sport. Um, and, and you doing so on the platform you did was important. So thank you for that. Well, um, yeah, I, I mean, it'll be interesting. Thank you. I, it'll be interesting to see uh, how much momentum this gains. And you're right. When a player like Andrew McCutcheon uh, brings this up, uh, it, it's one of the first steps I think we're going to see to more players, mm-hmm. veterans being comfortable talking about this. And it's going to be important for guys like Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole, you know, the guys who are, have, a, have a lot of power within the union to also begin to use some of their, uh, I, I think, their credibility within the union to push this forward. And once they do, that's when I think it's really going to drive forward. Because I think, uh, yeah, for Major League Baseball to this point, it's an embarrassment. And if their embarrassment is out in the open, then they will do something about it. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's it's very easy. Honestly, if you have ten-year contracts in place with these affiliates, get housing in each city. Like that—that that is such a huge step and such a fundamental thing that all human beings can understand. Um, housing issues are a real problem in America right now. And for a, a class of players, again, they're athletes, they're players. I understand that to be facing this while being paid for the hours that they're putting in sub minimum wage, uh, in many cases, salaries. Uh, to me, it's a no brainer. And the Houston Astros have done that. They have found housing for their players. And you know what? They're still making lots of money, Buster. It's not hard. Every organization needs to understand it's not hard. It is player development. Help develop the best players you can by making them as comfortable as they should be. Last year uh, during COVID, remember when the uh, Oakland Athletics uh, quietly 
reduced the weekly pay, I think I have the numbers right here, of their minor league players from $400 a week to $300 a week. Okay. And then that became a public issue. And suddenly it was like, oh, yeah, never mind. Never mind. They had to be embarrassed into doing the right thing. John Fisher, their owner, had to be embarrassed into doing the right thing. And as, as you said, you know, the more we talk about it, the more that it's out in the open, then Major League Baseball owners will be embarrassed in doing the right thing. All right, Jeff, thanks for doing this. Thank you, Buster. Appreciate the uh, poo-poo platter. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code baseball. That's code baseball. Visit vividseats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Last week, I got to talk to Phillies catcher JT Real Muto. Rapid fire. You grew up in Oklahoma, the home state of maybe the greatest catcher of all time, Hall of Famer Johnny Bench. Can you relate, describe your conversation with him, your first time you talked to him? Yeah. Um, actually, the first time I met him was in down in Jupiter, Florida. Uh, I was with the Marlins. It was in spring training. He came to one of our workouts. And I just remember the shaking his hand. I couldn't believe how big that guy's hands were. Like his, his, his hand absolutely swallowed mine. I was it was amazing how big his hands were, but um, he was super nice, super uh, just really normal. Like sat there and talked to me for 20, 25 minutes just about Oklahoma and growing up there. And um, it was really cool getting to meet him. You have a ton of athletes in your family tree. Can you give me some examples? Yeah, uh, most of them are in the wrestling realm of the world. But uh, uh, my uncle was a two-time Olympic gold medalist in wrestling. Um, his brother, my other uncle, was a four-time, the first four-time national champion in college wrestling. Um, my sister played at Oklahoma State softball. She was an All-American there and then uh, went on to play in the professional softball league. Um, multiple cousins that won national championships in wrestling. So most of it's in wrestling. Me and my sister were the only ones that kind of got away to baseball and softball. Your legal name is Jacob Tyler. How did you come to be called JT? Um, so when I was in little league, there was like three, I was going by Jake when I was little, like, Oh, my, my family always called me Jake. My dad called me Jake. And there was like three other Jakes on my little league team. So one day my dad just started calling me JT just, just to be different than the other kids. So every time he said Jake, four kids didn't look at him. So he kind of started calling me JT. And then that stuck in the baseball world and really in the sports world, I was always JT, but I always, I still to this day am Jake or Jacob at home. So my family still calls me Jake or Jacob. And then the baseball world knows me as JT. As his catcher, make the Cy Young case for Zach Wheeler. Oh, man. I mean, he's he's everything you want in a starting pitcher. He's been out there every day. Um, I don't believe he's missed a start this entire season. He's leading the league in innings, leading the league in strikeouts. Um, you know, he's 
he's exactly what you want in the starting pitcher. He goes out there every day. He gives you innings. He's what he's in the top three or four, probably in ERA. Um, he's throwing the ball great for us. And, you know, he's, we wouldn't be where we're at today. We wouldn't have a chance to get to the postseason today if, if we didn't have Will on our team. You know, he's been the leader of our staff and he's done everything you can ask for. You've got a young family. Give me an example of something that your daughter said to you about what you do for a living. Um, all they know, so they they take me to the, my my wife and my girls drive me to the field every day. So the only thing they're they're still really young. They just turned two and three. The only thing they know is is anytime we're getting in the car, they think we're going to the baseball field. And anytime I get out of the car, they're like, "Oh, daddy's going to the baseball game." And so they're like always they correlate the the ride in the car always to a baseball game, which doesn't always match up because we're obviously not always going to the field, but that's how they see it. What do they, how do they react when they see you on television? They just point and say, Dada. My, my youngest is really funny with it. And then uh, last night, actually, I got a video from my wife last, last night after the game, my oldest daughter, Gracie, um, she was screaming from the stands. Uh, what was she saying? Run, Dada, run, run, Dada, which was, which was pretty special to get. You played a lot of shortstop in high school, but a scout came to you and suggested you move to catcher that might help with your career. When that was initially proposed to you, how did you feel about the idea of being a full-time catcher? Um, I, I was actually pretty interested in it, to be honest, because my, my older sister, both my older sisters were catchers in college. So catching was kind of in our family. Like I was, I was the only shortstop in the family at that time. So um, it was pretty interesting to me. I knew that I played catcher a little bit in high school, like a few games. Um, so I was pretty, I wouldn't say comfortable with the position, but I at least played it before. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they, they were that spot on with their evaluation in me. Like they liked my tools back there so much, um, which give credit to those guys. They obviously knew what they were doing, but yeah. When you became a free agent last fall, your teammate Bryce Harper was very outspoken. You got to re-sign JT. How did that make you feel? Uh, I mean, it's hard not to, it, you just feel appreciative of, of a guy like that, such a player of his quality and um, his integrity, just playing from playing against him so long when he was with the Nationals and I was with the Marlins. Um, there was always that mutual respect between us. So it was definitely cool. And we were excited when we finally got to play with each other. How would you describe his offensive season? It's been incredible. I mean, the whole season has been great, but his second half, I don't think I've ever seen a player as hot as he is. Um, as far as doing damage and, and getting on base every single day, um, I'm, I'm shocked guys are still even throwing them strikes um, at this moment in the season. We'll see how much longer that lasts, but it's been pretty incredible to watch. You're considered to be the number one catcher in baseball. For a lot of years, Yadier Molina held that title. What do you think about him as a Hall of Fame candidate? I mean, I think he's a shoe-in. I don't, I don't think there should be too much of a conversation about it. Um, the counting numbers are there for him, especially as a catcher. You know, he's got a couple World Series. He's, but 99% of what Yachty is, you can't really quantify with stats. And um, he's just the guy for the Cardinals, and he has been the guy for that long. And the Cardinals organization is not what it is today without Yachty or Melina. So for me, he's a, he's a shoe in to get in. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Monday. First, we have Eddie Mark at Eddie Pref. Eddie writes in Buster. Sarley Marte could lead the majors in batting average, but not have enough at-bats in either league to qualify since he was traded from the National to the American League. Would he get credit for an official batting title if he ends up leading? Eddie, the answer to your question is no. 
mm. um, because the, you have two separate titles uh, with the batting titles, American League batting title, National League. You'd get neither one of those, and they don't have a combo batting title. Bummer. That's unfortunate for our guy yeah. Starling, who's tearing it up. Let's go to Bill Chuck uh, at Billy Ball. Bill writes in Buster. What do you think of the idea of the DH being used only for the starting pitcher? Once the starter is removed, the team loses its DH. It would reduce bullpen games and reduce the number of pitchers used in a game and increase offense. What do you think of that idea? Well, I think that in uh, I mean, really, I think in 2022, it's basically a done deal. Mm. that uh, we're going to have DH in both leagues. I think it's a negotiating point. And as we talked about in the spring, I'm shocked that it wasn't in baseball for this year. I <laughs> wish MLB and the union would have enough uh, collaboration, cooperation. They could have worked that out. They didn't, but I do think they will work it out with the next CBA. All right. Well, this is a, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast. So we'll, we'll end with two Cardinals questions. Shane Christensen at Fig. Jam Zero writes, and how about some Cardinals love? Best defense in baseball without bringing back the best defensive second baseman in the game. Pretty impressive, right? Sure. <laughs> and Nick Lurkins at Banker DJ Nick. A lot, uh, lot of hats Nick is wearing over there, but he writes in, Tyler O'Neill is the best left fielder in baseball right now. Change my mind. Can you do that for Nick? For the moment, Tyler Neal has been great this year. Um, you know, obviously, uh, with the performance on the field, the defense is underrated. You look at him, you can't believe someone who's that strong could move that well. But I would say this, Tyler O'Neill can enjoy that title for the moment. I think next year, Mike Trout's going to be playing left field. And that'll uh, make him the best left fielder. <laughs> so that could change your mind, Nick. All right. Soak it up, boys. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter. Thanks for writing in, everyone. And please follow, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's it for today. My thanks to JT, to Jeff, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight Podcast. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Use with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.